For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie, when I see a film about slavery, one and welcome to the Abolitionist Daily. Johan and Elia, this is the Black Talk Radio Network, and we are here today on April 6, 2015, the start of another week. Give you the news and views from an abolitionist perspective. Definitely uh, had a, a, a big uh, weekend. Um, as some celebrate Easter, the Easter holidays and what have you, and we're beginning to see the beginnings of spring. Had a few um, scandalous events occurred over the over the last few days, and still been trying to kind of figure out the fallout from all of that. So we'll be discussing some of those things, uh, like the Atlanta teachers' uh, conviction, school system down there in Atlanta being found guilty of uh, helping students cheat, and um, not at all an uncommon um, situation as we've seen these so-called scandals pop up all over the the country, but uh, apparently this all-black collage of mugshots they had put together and began to popularize uh, in, in national media um, is intended to be um, something to teach us a lesson, you know, about what will not be tolerated, um, systematic quote-unquote abuses um that, that are not going to be allowed. So these people of color are being made an example of, whereas we've seen dozens and dozens in many other states and major cities uh, only have maybe one or two get fi- uh, fired, and then, of course, they get reinstated through their unions fighting for them or what have you, and uh, no penalties really handed down, no fines or fees or really any crippling effects of their taking part in these same types of uh of uh, activity. So um, if we have time, we may look into that just a little bit. The primary stories that we're going to be covering today, though, um, have to do with with uh, issues that are, I mean, because to a degree, that story is somewhat connected to slavery from a standpoint, if nothing else, but to uh, point out the need for us to be teaching our children that um, the Emancipation Proclamation, in fact, did not 
in modern day slavery and now these folks that are uh, probably heading on in um, to doing some doing some significant time I've seen reports that are saying they're looking at as much as 25 years which I mean honestly people when you have an amendment that says that slavery and involuntary servitude is abolished except when a person can be convicted of a crime when you have that I mean, you know I don't really I don't see any real purpose in coming down on people as they say like uh, really just badgering people or, or beating people up about things I mean people either understand or they don't so you can either explain it or you can't if you don't have the ability to explain it you're not going to help them understand it if you uh, explain and they choose not to believe then you still can't make them change so uh, I don't see any purpose in beating people down even though the facts may be very oppressive the facts about the information may be very hurtful. You know, it may feel constricting. It may feel like it's choking you. You know, the choking the life and the vibrancy out of out of your out of your being to find out how oppressive some truths really are. Maybe that's what slavery does to the average person is they just can't accept how how much pressure it, it adds to just understand and accept slavery could still be happening. But my point is, we teach this. And we have all these deniers and people that don't believe. Well, now these folks, these black folks, these teachers, partially responsible, no doubt, for educating our children to believe that slavery was abolished. And who knows how many out of this dozens, a couple dozen of them that have been handpicked for these mugshots and picture collages and showing them being handcuffed and escorted out of court. I mean, even if they don't do actual time, all of those people have been criminalized. All of those people's careers have been have been altered adversely. But we know that several of them are going to do time. And my point is just, this is what can happen in a state like, a, well, I guess it was Martin, uh, Martin Luther King, and I'm sure several other people have said this thing or a very similar statement says the injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And best believe the 13th Amendment is giving you a blatant statement of injustice in telling you that it is state policy and turning a blind eye to it leaves doors like this open to the entire society so again if we get an opportunity to really go deep on that story and, and look at some of the other places that have other cities and you know school districts that have been implicated in these exact same type of of policies, you know, fixing test scores and guiding students during testing to answer, change answers themselves and influencing, you know, the outcomes of these tests and so forth, you know, then, then we will. It's, it's rather detailed and, and beyond them not teaching about slavery and beyond them not being active, uh, activists in, um, in, uh, you know, legislative reforms, uh, not being abolitionists, this type of thing. I mean, I, I don't really want to give too much to it other than just to point out the obviousness of there being all these black faces you know being criminalized and demonized in the mass media that's choosing to cover this and um, rarely ever seeing the faces of uh, uh, non-black educators um, in any of these other cases uh, there was the the Asian lady that was uh that was real big time i think it was washington dc some years ago but i don't have enough of the details to go into that story but she was kind of picked out and and put as a as the, the trophy 
catch for the Department of Justice when they start going in on on them and their testing scores changing and all that. But again, her cohorts that were named in the in the criminal proceedings that surrounding that were again black people. So you know, I don't want to get into a bunch of rants and stuff, especially not this early in the program, and then just try to tell you a bunch of my opinions about things or whatever. I mean, you pretty much know where I stand and. Uh, if you follow this program uh, from the standpoint of you know understanding where I'm coming from and what I talk about, I don't need to keep preaching to the choir. If you're new to this and um, or, or perhaps someone that doesn't agree with my perspective as you've taken it so far, then I'm not going to convince you by giving you a bunch of opinions. I have actual facts that I'd rather spend uh, the next hour and 50 minutes or so uh, sharing with you and then we'll see if you can refute blatant outright facts, which is what the abolitionist daily comes with monday through friday here on the black talk radio network so today um we're going to be looking at um some of the news that's coming out of the reform discussion around the country i found uh, several news stories over the last few days that have been talking about various uh methods that we need to be using and various people's ideas and uh, there's been some coalitions coming together and, and people are at, uh, outwardly naming slavery um, you know as P a lot of times like with these teachers a lot of times when people end up in actual prison then the slavery aspect of this all becomes too real now all of a sudden it's obvious and now all of a sudden you want to tell everybody about slavery and you want to tell everybody about you know the labor camps and the and the you know what's going on and how this just ain't right but before you were locked up where were you so if you're listening to this now and you have not been locked up as yet then you know consider some of these perspectives because these people have changed dramatically in the time since they served their time one of these uh is is um coming from uh New Jersey, NJ.com. It says, a new coalition calls for economic justice in New Jersey prisons. A new coalition of activists and former prisoners on Saturday called for greater economic justice in New Jersey's prison system. Speaking before an audience of about 50 at Elmwood Presbyterian Church, People's Organization for Progress Chair Larry Hamm said the current prison system perpetuates inequality in America. He says Jim Crow is just too kind of a term to describe the hell that exists in prisons. What we're talking about is a system of modern-day slavery. Well, good job, Mr. Ham. You hit it right on the head. Modern slavery is exactly what it is. Ham was one of several speakers at the first organizational meeting of Interfaith Prison Coalition of New Jersey. The coalition includes former prisoners and activist organizations, which will work together on issues facing inmates in local jails and prisons. Among some of the issues the coalition may tackle in future in the future include heavy surcharges facing prisoners who use the commissary accounts, high telephone rates, and low wages for prison work. All things we've discussed and will continue to discuss here on the Abolitionist Daily and the new abolitionist movement overall. 75 years ago it was unheard of that a prison could be privately owned, he said. 75 years ago it was unheard of that the juvenile detention center would be privately owned. Gail Muhammad, who's a founder of Women Who Never Give Up, Incorporated, said families of those incarcerated need more help navigating the prison system. She started her organization after struggling to get her late husband medical care while he was incarcerated. So, here again, Gail Muhammad is telling you about what we discuss every day. So, I'm just sharing this with you so you hear from individuals 
who are working in grassroots in their own local areas. As I said, this is something that these people are, are starting up and coming together in a coalition of several organizations, um, you know, working with the church, uh, meeting in a church facility. This sounds a lot like what we're doing here in my area. I work in the Kansas City area. I work with people in Kansas and Missouri. Kansas City is uniquely situated along the state line, so we have Kansas and Missouri to consider. I'm in Kansas, so some of the legislative activities I cannot necessarily participate in as a constituent, but I definitely share ideas and work with, you know, the Missouri side. Um, a member of the Missouri Cure, um, work with them rather, uh, relatively closely. Um, the business that I work with very closely, Family United Transportation, is based in Kansas City, Missouri. I mean, and we continue to work with organizations. So these coalitions on a local grassroots level are what we have right now. As you see that the national, and we're going to discuss the national answers to these these uh, reform problems. We're going to discuss that in just a minute, but I want to give a, a an intro to all of this from the standpoint of the grassroots and the local what's happening because I think that we're, we need to see a, a, a concise narrative I think we need to be able to follow uh, very closely with what is actually happening and then move from speculating and just throwing out ideas wildly and throwing out responses wildly we've got to be responsible when we discuss this and really put out there okay this is what is actually happening is it bringing change See, we're, we're kind of caught up in a system that doesn't mind spinning its wheels because you gotta understand the system, the institutions are continuing to generate a profit. They're continuing to, to maintain their place of dominance, of uh, providing for themselves. They're, they're, they're self-existing at this point. They don't really need change. They're gonna work. They don't have feelings. They don't have a heart. They're not affected by Society for for the sake of these institutions that are in place, I mean, you show me how they would be crippled if more and more of us were incarcerated. They wouldn't. This same system in place right now with 2.4 million in prison, locked up, locked away, and at least 8 million, close to 9 million just depending on various estimates and various, you know, uh, uh, poll numbers that you you get or whatever uh, reports you study, but at least eight, if not closer to nine million people are in some type of supervised situation, probation, parole, halfway houses, work release, you know, all these different ways we put on it, uh, terms we put on it. What we need to understand is that this system would still function just fine if there were nine million people actually incarcerated and 29 million people on probation parole under state for the people that are generating revenue off of this they would only get more money for the people that are that are sustained by all of this they would only generate more cash for themselves it wouldn't cripple their operations in the least. Wall Street would continue to see big numbers with more and more people incarcerated. That's more and more jobs, slave labor that can be done from behind prison walls at a zero overhead costs. See, that's the perspective we've got to maintain in all of this. 
is to understand who we're up against and what will actually cripple them. And decarceration is not going to, is not on their agenda. Reforms are something they can tolerate to a degree that they don't really affect the bottom line of the prison labor aspect of it and the numbers that are, that are owing the states and the municipalities and the private probation systems and the private companies that are owned by private prison companies. So when you move 10,000 inmates from federal prisons into private prisons and then say how the private, the federal prison numbers are down for the first time in 30 years, but don't even mention how you just sent all those people to private prisons. When you can move people from the state of California and say you're finally complying with the Supreme Court mandate from five years earlier, and really that itself back in 2010 was four years after Arnold Schwarzenegger created his own executive order to start shipping people out into other states, human trafficking. And here at this late date, okay, from 2006 when he did that to 2010 when the Supreme Court ordered them to lower their, their ranks, to 2015 when they finally claim they've done it and a year ahead of schedule as they puff their chest out a year ahead of schedule five years after you were told to do it the, the, the insanity of that statement alone but for this to be going on then you have to remember that those people are still hidden in the system of incarceration they're just sent to other states and in private prisons now and actually, the state is probably generating more revenue off of them for as much as they were able to negotiate with the states where they were sent per head how much of the cut they get from the labor those people provide in those corporate contracts that they're now entered into. Because CCA in Mississippi and Geo Group in Mississippi and, and Tennessee and Arkansas and Oklahoma and Nevada, Arizona, wherever else they've sent these people from state to state, those places all have corporate contracts that on the back end are getting slave labor out of those private prisons. So when California sends 8,000 inmates state to state to lower their own ranks to be within the 187% or 150% or whatever, over 100% capacity that the, the Supreme Court has allowed them to maintain, do you realize how insane all layers of this is? I'm trying to explain it to you. Every layer of it is is jacked up. The Supreme Court steps in to order them to, to maintain over 100% capacity still. But for them to do that, they sent those people into further corporate slavery. And the only reason they did it, because we saw Kamala Harris's office successfully sue to maintain prison populations to a, to a certain degree because they need the, the slave labor. They outright said we would not be able to afford to fight these California wildfires unless we were in a position where we kept these people in slave labor. So that's just one aspect of it, to look at it from how they're using the labor to keep their costs at a minimum. How are we going to be able to escape? So we look at it from like how the grassroots is coming together to, to work against these problems as, as we open and move into how is the, the federal or the larger system, the, the government operated system working to end these things. So we're going to look at a report uh, that's talking about the Justice, Re Justice Reinvestment Initiative, JRI, which is a public-private partnership between the Department of Justice, the Pew Charitable Trust, and the Council of State Governments. And um, what it is is a bipartisan coalition that uh, works together on state levels between uh, the governors, attorneys general, 
uh, the justices, you know, the, the judges that would tell like California to, to let people out in the overpopulation. Um, and then gets together with, you know, like the Pew Charitable Trust, um, gets together with these, these think tanks and organizations that do the studies, which many times we quote from on this program. And I study them day to day myself. I've probably got 15 different hundreds and hundreds of pages per study saved to my desktop that I'm, you know, promising myself perpetually I'm going to, I'm going to sit down and really, really read it this time. You know, I mean, these things are just so full of information and quotable stats and, and it, it gets to be a lot. But these are all the people that work together with JRI and they supposedly come up with these reforms. But what we're going to look at is all of the reforms that you see. And even as far as the, uh, the uh, Supreme Court justice uh, soundbite that I had uh, from a couple of weeks ago when they went before the House uh, Appropriations Committee to discuss their own uh, 2016 budget plan. And it kind of drifted off into discussing briefly the uh, mass incarceration problem in America, Justice Kennedy and uh, Justice Breyer. And yes, they had very forthcoming and very uh, very candid comments to, to add. But as you look around the room, the situation that they're discussing there's no black faces there, and of any one or two tokens that are kind of sprinkled in there, I mean, it may have been one or two black people that were in the room. There was a brother that was uh, on the on the uh, committee that was somewhat leading the questioning along those lines. But do these people represent the greater mass, monolithic mass of blackness in America that is uh, currently a domestic colony? Do they represent the interests of those who are currently enslaved? Are those that are affected by modern day slavery? Do they really represent those interests or are these people the, the true assimilationists that are benefiting from the status quo and only mentioning it so they can make, make face to their constituents or say I was there? But what's really happening and what we're seeing with these reforms across the board on these, on these national levels and these, these big, you know, well-funded organizations anyway is what's missing from the conversation is the aspect of race. And that's a problem. Because race is most definitely at the core of what we're dealing with. And, and I'm very honest with you about that. And up front, I'm never going to present this problem to you from a standpoint of how it's affecting all of us. Because, yeah, it affects all of us, but from different angles that people typically are not figuring out. It's not affecting all of us as, as much as the hyper-criminalization of black people. It's not affecting all of us in terms of the demonization of the public image of black people, the danger to the lives of black people as they are being rounded up and, and supposedly brought in to face justice, the exoneration numbers that we're seeing continually growing as more people investigate, suddenly there's more and more people that need to be let free. There is a race component to to that situation and it cannot be ignored I mean to what benefit to what benefit do we do we uh, ignore these facts so that's what we'll be looking at uh, at, at um, the justice reinvest, uh, reinvestment initiative and just trying to understand why or from where is their uh, perspective on not necessarily looking at this along um, racial lines and there is a an opinion I wanted to read to you today too. We'll probably read that right before we go to break. This coming out of the DailyTarHill.com. Again, 
uh, an editorial opinion where they're discussing, you know, modern day slavery. So we've got quite a bit of news and just information in general surrounding our problems that we're facing with modern day slavery, human trafficking. Uh, we ended off Friday um, talking about the plea bargaining situation, and I was reading from an opinion from a sitting uh, uh, federal judge who was trying to help us understand the plea bargaining situation, and I got some feedback from that, some inboxes and emails from people that, that uh, had comments or questions uh, relating to that. So I may have some time to go back into that a little bit and just try to answer some of the questions people ask me and really continue to read from that because I only got into just a small portion of that, uh, of his entire opinion. There was still quite a bit left that he had to say and all of it, you know, very candid and, 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 you know, explanatory of our, of our problems. Um, as he was saying overall, you know, this, uh, if there's no trial, there can be no fair trial. So that means that the constitutional right to a fair trial is is basically a myth. So that's a, that's a theme that I want to continue to to uh, point out to you because it seems that no matter what we discuss in this abolitionist movement and here on the Black Talk Radio Network on New Abolitionist Radio, or if we get a chance to to really go into abolition of slavery and discuss how uh, slavery, modern day slavery, and mass incarceration applies to the political prisoner situation on a, a political prisoner radio when Scotty gets to, to discuss those things. Whenever we present these issues on Black Talk Radio Network, invariably we see the national media pick up these stories and expound to a degree on what we've said, but not not truly impactful, especially for the size of their platforms. But they will pick up some of the sound bites or pick up some of the things that we discuss and say a word or two of what we said. And then we kind of see them assimilate the information into the larger narrative and it, and it kind of becomes, it loses some of its bite. It, it loses, uh, some of its power, um, as it's, as it's diluted a little bit. So I want to uh, stay on that as best I can. Um, also before the first break here, just want to give you an update as we were discussing. MTC's problems um, in uh, Mississippi with uh, Walnut Grove Correctional Facility. They did have an update on the court hearing that's going on there currently over um, uh, Mississippi Department of Corrections um, and how they've sold that private contract out to uh, Management and Training Corporation, the same people that owned Wallace County Correctional Facility down in Texas. And um, MTC was also in the bidding, and I still haven't heard anything back yet from uh, Lafleur County uh, putting out that they had some land that they were about to to lease out to a private prison. And uh, MTC was in the bidding along with GO and CCA, and I haven't heard yet who who won that. But I wanted to give an update on this uh, Walnut Grove Correctional Facility, uh, this this court proceeding. So before we go to break, let me just uh, break that one out here right quick. It says plaintiffs rest in Walnut Grove hearing. Walnut Grove Correctional Facility exposes inmates to a substantial risk of serious harm and hasn't yet fully complied with the terms of a consent degree, uh, decree that it now seeks to terminate, according to a court-appointed monitor's testimony Friday during a federal court hearing in Jackson, Mississippi. Steve Martin, a national corrections consultant who has monitored Walnut Grove for the past three years, took the stand on the third day of the hearing before the U.S. District Court and Judge Carlton W. Reeves. At issue is whether the facility violates inmates' constitutional right to a safe environment. And again, this is kind of related to the situation we saw in Augusta, Georgia, with the young brother 
being beaten and put on a leash and had the picture go viral on social media and all these people come out and say, oh, you can't uh, expect them to protect these people 24-7. Oh, you're in prison. You know, who knows what happens to you? You get raped, you get beaten, or whatever. Hey, man, don't go to jail. Well, this is a constitutional right, as you see uh, discussed in court right now. Whether a facility violates inmates' constitutional right to a safe environment. If so, Reeves can impose new remedies the, the Mississippi Department of Correction must follow in regard to that prison. If not, Reeves must release MDOC from its consent decree. This is the issue that we're seeing, people, in Ferguson, allowing the feds to come in and take over this. If you're not going to do it right, then we got to step in. Should be in, in Georgia. I mean, you see what's happening down there with the young brother and the end of getting beaten, put on the leash. And I'm sure there's even worse beyond that that's going on. The situation in Texas, Willassie County. And I'm not a statist. I'm not advocating for the feds to take over or whatever. I'm advocating for people to be made uncomfortable in the administration of, in the collection of these funds, the administration of these facilities and the collecting this money. If it, if it pisses you off and you work in a system, you don't want the feds to come in, then I want the feds to come in. And we'll deal with the feds when they get there. If it upsets you, if it puts you in an uncomfortable situation to have oversight from the federal government and they put all your stuff on blast, then that's what I want to happen. Because I want you to stop being a slaver. But you won't stop doing that and you won't stop abusing people. So hopefully this, uh, this will, this will work out to where they can get some greater oversight or get some kind of sanctions that really piss them off and upset them and shake up the state. Uh, because we've been talking about Mississippi is off the chain for quite some time. We're going to take our first break, and uh, we'll just continue to, to break down the news to you when we get back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna and Eli. We'll be right back. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna Nalaya. And this is the Black Talk Radio Network. And as you know, uh, we are in the midst of our 2015 fundraiser event. We've got a goal in place. Very simple for the tens of thousands of people that come to this website month in, month out to get this information, not just about modern day slavery, which hell, it would be worth it if the, if it was just that. If our only thing we discussed on this program was modern day slavery and human trafficking made legal in the United States of America by the 13th Amendment and the exception that's found therein, slavery and involuntary servitude is abolished except when a person can be convicted of a crime if we only focused on that with this network which we do not by any means only focus on that it would be enough for you to support and keep this information coming out because I ask you all the time where else are you learning about these things where else are you hearing about this who else is working to equip you with this if there's somebody that's doing more and doing a better job and somebody that is helping and in, in, can can put us out of business I mean there's most definitely more to my life and more to, to Scotty and Max's lives and to many of the dozens and dozens of people 
that we interact with in the abolitionist movement, there's way more to all of our lives and the fullness of it that we'd love to enjoy. So we'd be happy to put down our, our abolitionist tools of war to carry on in, in so-called normal lives, enjoy ourselves, live a little. But because there's really not much in the way of seeing that fight being fought, as far as we can find, and we keep asking people to help us find people that are doing what we're doing and sharing what we're sharing and educating and empowering and activating and agitating. It's a struggle to find other outlets that, that are doing those things. Well, then we stay on the front lines. But there's more to the network. Faith-based programs, political programs, finance information and education-based programs, local radio stations. That's what the, the network itself is set up to do, is to help establish local it's Black Talk Radio Network. Help people of color establish their own network, state to state, city to city. Cover your own local stories. Get the information out. We're taught that our people perish for lack of knowledge. We should be committed to spreading knowledge and educating and getting information. Do you want to continue to perish? There's no doubt in anybody's mind. One thing that the racists the proxy racist Negroes, the puppets, the abolitionists, the activists, the RBGs, the Hebrew Israelites, the Kemet scholars, and all these different variations and, and assorted types of teachers and whistleblowers and everybody under the sun, everybody on the planet Earth is uniform in the understanding of one thing. Black folks lead the way in all the categories of ways to die. That should be your first concern because we are taught if you believe the Bible or not, you can't dispute the truth that that line says the people perish for lack of knowledge. And how are we committed to spreading knowledge? Even that talking about that Atlanta teacher situation, the public school system. They weren't busted in, yeah, sure, it's a lot of black kids, and yeah, there's a lot of black politicians in Atlanta, and there's a lot of black school teachers and blacks, da, 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 blah, 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 blah. Until you are autonomous and controlling your own situation and spreading your own knowledge and your own information, and you are accountable for that, you speak up for that, you teach that, you represent that, you stand on that and build a nation with that. Until you get to that point, these people are just talking heads, puppets proxies representing the interest of the larger society representing the interest of white supremacy so that's why they're facing jail time right now because they were trying to pass children along through a system created by and maintained by white supremacy accountable to white supremacy the test scores and the tests and everything are, are compared to the standards set by white supremacy so the black talk radio network is a clear example of what we need to be doing to teach ourselves to represent ourselves to look out for ourselves and our interests, our children this should not be an offense to any other living persons on this planet or in the universe who could be offended by black folks who are the number one dying in every category of health in every category of, of external conditions contributing to mortality 
to every psychological disparaging number, to every type of uh, suicide rates and and heart attacks and depression and drug deaths and gunshots and knives and lynchings and getting hung by the neck and I mean everything under the sun as you see black folks is number one and in America how bizarre when we consistently are maintained at a 13 that sometimes stretch it to 14% of this population in this country in this domestic colony they keep their rates at around 13% to manage it and we always dominate mass incarceration those currently enslaved deaths in custody and we don't educate ourselves enough to overcome these problems we're going along with the status quo we're ignoring the problems we're not even trying to fight the problems the problem can be fought with education the problem can be fought with information the problem can be fought from a propaganda war standpoint just like the propaganda war you are victims of currently this is not my imagination this is very well established and understood condition that we're dealing with find the book and read it propaganda Edwin Bernays read Marshall McLuhan's work the media is the message read these types of works and understand the billions and billions of dollars that are spent on propaganda news broadcast advertising movies books magazines radio television to condition your mind and lead your hands to do things lead your feet to go in directions lead your thoughts to see your situation is is not that dire the propaganda going on right now towards black folks is teaching them evidently that it's not that big of a deal because you don't see a mass black uprising you see a continued effort at a mass black assimilation into the deadliest system on the planet so when I talk about the Black Talk Radio Network the blacktalkmediaproject.org websites and the simple tabs you can click on to make contributions to these I'm talking about this from the deepest levels imaginable that you need to support these type of efforts so you can become educated, so you can continue to be fed, and this can continue to grow to become a bigger and bigger part of your diet of information. So we're not going to get anywhere treating the Black Talk Radio Network like a couple of crackers to go along with a big old meal you get. You get a seven-course meal of crap fed to you, and you willingly eat it every day. And then you think of the Black Talk Radio Network as a as a a little hors d'oeuvre or something, a little a little snack. And it's not at all affecting how you really think and how you really live and how your community is affected in your own national identity. But it can be. The power is there. It's in you as you become a part of it. You become a partner with it and it continues to grow and represent you and you continue to grow and represent blackness healthy and sustainable black communities not a consistently in danger and in trauma state of emergency black existence so let's be real let's grow up let's get mature let's let's 
bring our dollars together and support the Black Talk Radio Network fundraiser. Go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, blacktalkmediaproject.org. Click on the donate tab and, and pledge a couple dollars. It's just that simple. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand. You come into some money, you, you scratch off a lot of winner. Throw five hundred at the at the project right quick. See what we do with it. Hold us accountable. We're not going anywhere. Hold us accountable. You want your community to be better? Put it on our backs. We'll do it. We're doing it now on a nothing budget. Imagine if you empowered us and helped us to get better equipment and to recruit more people and teach more people. Show them the benefits. It will only grow and grow and grow. Make it as popular as Jordan's. $200 a pair and there's 10 million black folks got a pair in their closet. We ain't broke. Hell, they came out with Jordans when I was in school. And the poorest kids was showing up on the basketball court after school. We used to play basketball at, at the eighth grade at the middle school. They had the eight foot goals. Dudes could just dunk all day. We was what, 14, 15 years old, you know? And it's the poorest kids there. Kids didn't have no change of clothes. You see the same kid wearing the same pants three out of five days of school. The same shirt a couple days, you know, every, you know they didn't have many clothes. You know that a lot of the meals they were eating were there at school during the lunchtime. You know people that didn't have proper hygiene or proper dental care. Didn't have stable situations going on at home. But every last one of them that could possibly get there. And at that time, Jordans was like a hundred and something, like 125, I think. And all these kids had on Jordans. And what was they doing coming after school instead of studying with people? Everybody show up at the, at the basketball court and we play basketball for three, four, five hours after school until it get dark. Till the late bus would go back to the hood. They had to get on the bus and ride out. Hit the ball court with the Jordans. And now their children wearing Jordans and their children having children. From little babies wearing the Jordan, the little Jordan baby shoes and outfits. And this is where your mind is at. And what we're talking about is going to actually help the community. None of that, the last 20 years of that has done anything for the community. So the power is there and the testimony is going to be our own when the judgment comes upon us. What did we do with what we had? This is the weeping and gnashing of teeth when you are faced with all of the opportunities you had, which you did not take. It's going to crush you. It's going to crush you. To just have it presented to you. What you could have done. But chose not to do. And your babies are steady being carted off to prisons. Little children. Right now, 3,500 children in the United States of America with life sentences with not, with no possibility of parole. What the hell? 70% of those are black children. These are issues we could fix. These are things we can overcome. There's no law written on this man's books that we can't unwrite, that we can't work around. That's the existence we need to be fighting for. Not fighting for the right to watch reality TV. Not fighting for the right to get good weave. Not fighting for the right to, to, to keep empire on TV. Not fighting for the right to, to, uh, do whatever kind of crazy mess we want to do, frivolous and carefree and 
It's like it was it Amos Wilson. They were saying, why is it everything, you know, the, the Negro wants to be free? It talks about his freedoms and, but it's everything that he wants to do to be free enriches the white, white man, white supremacy. Why is that? Why don't the things we want to do to be free help us? It would seem that would be a main concern. So we should ask what Dr. Dr. Wilson asked us. Why does a black man say freedom is doing what I want to do? And why is it everything that he quote unquote wants to do enriches Europeans? White supremacy. That's a very basic, simple question for you to ask yourself. Why is it that everything that you choose to want to do in the course of your day, over the course of your life, have to do with enriching the system that is killing you? So support something that's going to give you life is all I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to rant on and on. I don't want to associate the, the fundraiser with me you know, flipping out and going off or whatever. Uh, it's just necessary for us to realize the seriousness of the time, the seriousness of the hour. So back to our news. And before the break, I was talking about the plea situation and trying to help explain, you know, why that's uh, such a big deal. And then I went into talking about this news uh, at a Walnut Grove uh, correctional facility out of Mississippi. I mean, this is, this is a template for what's going on in America, period. And what we saw happen in Arizona and how they were able to avoid federal intervention by, even though they won, they lost their, uh, the, the ACLU lawsuit. They were able to get it as a part of their terms of the, of the, uh, the judgment that they were not named as having done anything wrong, even though there were 70 individuals that died in custody in the last year. And even though it was proven by all of the experts that came in and did reports, people with 30 and 40 years of professional experience in the medical fields and the psychological fields that came in and looked at the psych situation and the literal medical situations in the Arizona prison system, all of them gave negative reports. There wasn't even, they didn't even, they couldn't even buy anybody off. Now what sense does that, what does that tell you? In America, in our current societies that we live in and when you see the corruption that goes on stem to stern and you're dealing with a report that came out and no experts said that it was okay no experts were bought off nobody was able to come out and say well you know it wasn't as bad as others said it was or well this is manageable or well this is this or talked about anything positive Everybody that reported on the situation in Arizona came out and said, it is the worst we've ever seen. It is horrible. It can't continue. When you see these kind of reports coming out of state to state, that should tell you, that should speak volumes to you. Because we know we exist in a system where all it takes is a little bit of money and you can get an expert to say whatever you want them to say. Look at our courts. Look at the Annie Dukins of the world. The Betsy Corbett, what was that girl's name? Cindy Corbett or Betsy Corbett or whatever, something. Katie, Katie Corbett's of the world. Katie Corbett worked with Annie Dugan, but she was the blonde-haired, blue-eyed white girl in the background behind a brown-skinned Indian woman. But Corbett was the one going and testifying on, on these court trials, too, getting people sent to prison 
claiming that she was a forensic expert with with a background in chemical analysis, the chemistry or whatever, and they found out all she did was took chemistry in as a, in her undergraduate studies, and that so somehow made her an expert. And they quietly said, "Well, that wasn't a, that wasn't a, a good thing for us to be doing." So these hundreds of cases that she's testified, we're, we're just going to forget that those people are still incarcerated. When Annie Dukin took the took the fall, she had tens of thousands of cases that she oversaw as a forensic expert in her lab. She contaminated these cases, contaminated the lab results, lied on the stand, did everything she could because of financial incentive behind getting convictions. So we've already seen people be convicted of chasing after the, the financial incentives. So I'm just bringing all this up to say, I mean, it should be pretty obvious that in these state reports, in these uh, ACLU reports, or in these court-ordered reports, the DOJ reports, when they bring in experts, wherever you've got people going in and digging up the truth, digging up the dirt, digging up the facts, you should be able to find one or two, I mean, hell, of Florida, all of the people working for the Office of Inspector General to ask to come speak before the Florida Senate uh, Judiciary Committee. Hell, uh, the House Committee uh, basically denuded the, the bill that the Senate put forward, but still they didn't have anybody come and speak up for or speak against what the, the whistleblowers were saying. Rikers Island. Whistleblowers dealt directly with the New York Times. They couldn't get any help within the system. Risk their lives, risk their jobs. But you're not finding people that are willing to come out and say that there's not a problem. That should be a huge indicator to you that the problem is real and it's there. You go into any other, go with the vaccination debate. You got people from both sides willing to say something. No matter how many people come out and say it's poisonous, it's causing the other disease and other problems, it's killing people, it's paralyzing people. Uh, they come out and prove that they, they had uh, sterilization agents in the, in the vaccines and the people in Africa. Um, the, the food debates, GMOs, no matter how many people come out and tell you, you know, the, the, the meat processing debates and the, I mean, endlessly. Hell, did we go to the moon? I mean, you could find a debate and you're going to find people on both sides willing to come out and put their lives, livelihoods, reputations on the fight. But uniquely in the mass incarceration situation, whether you're talking about the numbers, whether you're talking about the laws that are leading people there, the war on drugs, the hypercriminalization of particular people in, in neighborhoods and classically underrepresented uh, politically individuals, poor people, you don't find anybody coming out arguing against that, really. They just accept it and just let you do all the, the fussing while they keep collecting checks. The inhumanities going on inside of the prisons, you don't find people really coming out arguing against that. Who's going to come out and say that 346 people didn't die in custody in Florida in 2014 alone? Who's going to come out and say 3,500 people didn't die in the state of Florida's prisons in the last 12 to 15 years? Who's going to come out and say that Darren Wilson was not boiled to death? Who's going to do it? Who's going to come out and say Jerome Murto was not baked to death in his cell? I don't know who's going to do it. Who's going to come out and say DeAndre Woods was not washed down with a water hose 
because he had a stench so strong from his rotting foot that had gangrene in it started as a small cut when he got to prison when he got to the local jail rather based on supposedly having stolen a Star Wars DVD from Walmart he went to jail somehow he cut his foot while he was there and it was never treated and allowed to worsen and began to rot and the guards in the jail smelled it stinking pulled him out of his cell after he had lost all this weight and was completely debilitated wasn't speaking wasn't walking was wheelchaired into the court for his uh, for his little hearing for whatever or whatever court date he was going to have to face these charges he had done so much debt uh, had such a debt to society to repay for for nabbing that that DVD I mean he really did deserve the death sentence didn't he you're not hearing people come out and speak against this you're not hearing anybody come out and advocate for the deaths of these individuals but there are most certainly thousands and thousands of people dying year in year out in all of these prisons where are the advocates for that you can't advocate for that so then we must ask from the other side where are the abolitionists it's not like we're fighting against people that are actively defending their positions they're just not saying anything no matter how many prison heads you see locked off Christopher Epps in Mississippi hell they've had three in the last four years in Florida probably soon to have another one I don't know how long Julie Jones is going to last what is she I mean the you can't, the problem you can't fix it with changing the secretaries of the department and you got the same governor who ran against another former governor both of them prison, private prison advocates both of them for the proliferation of private prisons in the state both of them for corporate contracts with private prisons to be increased and create more slavery both of them are for the problem and neither one of them discussed it in their in their uh, so-called campaign for governor you've got an entire state run by these individuals all the way back to Jeb Bush when I was coming up still the 2000 elections he put his hand into the national election for president and controlled who ended up becoming our president. It's not happenstance that that happened in Florida and Jeb Bush was there and his brother. I mean, but nobody really did anything. People, it's not going to stop. We can go back to the 90s. We can go back to the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, 1800s. Show you like we've shown you. Black folks went from the plantation right into the prisons show you straight up real factual numbers on record state prisons Tennessee state prison 582 inmates all of them black straight from the plantation to the to the prisons we can go back to the beginning of the state prisons in the, in the states Alabama prison convict leasing put in place before emancipation proclamation was even put on paper 40 years before I think it was the 1820s or so Alabama State Prison immediately instituted convict leasing they immediately started forcing prisoners to produce products for the markets that would buy them we've shown that here this is a matter of factual history and the people in the 1825 Alabama could give a damn like the people in 2015 America Alabama and around the country seem to not really be caring 
And that's why these things are proliferating. So if you're hearing this and if you care about this, then that's who we're appealing to. So you will reach out. So you will tell another one because it's not going to stop. And what we have not agreed upon is that people should get the death sentence for being accused of crimes. And what we have not agreed upon is that 97% of federal cases should be decided by pleas, plea agreements. And 94% of state cases should be decided by plea agreements. We'd have, we never decided on that. We never agreed on that. But it should be obvious to you there's a connection between that and this explosion of 2.4 million people in prisons now. Prosecutors are going unchecked with this power to stack charges and throw all kind of phantom charges and ghost charges at people that don't have proper defense representation, don't have proper, don't have the finances to fight the state. And they got that boot on their neck and they're squeezing the life out of them and they tap out. Yes, of course, there's people that are committing crimes. Yes, we understand that. And yes, as soon as you accept that, you person who's pushing that, you have to accept on the, as a part of that though, that there are strong mainstream conditions which are contributing to that proliferating throughout our poor communities. And you're still connected to us in the abolitionist movement who are advocating for the end of this prison slavery situation because that is why you're seeing people resort to crime in great numbers. And even then, we're only talking about somewhere around 17 to maybe high-end 20% of people incarcerated out of this 2.4 million who, honest to goodness, did hurt somebody, who, honest to goodness, did rape somebody, did kill somebody, did rob somebody. So that leaves us with a, with, we know statistically at this point they've admitted to over 60%. We estimate between 70 to 80% of people in there who are there for nonviolent, drug related, traffic related, municipal ordinance violations, federal regulations of which there are over 300,000 federal regulations and over 5,000 federal laws on the books violating some in some form or fashion which you and I do on a day-to-day basis as well, but nobody's coming after us right now. So we've got a lot of problems that have to do with denial and ignorance as well as ignoring. See, ignorance is just not knowing, but ignoring is being told and then still looking away. And we've got a major, major epidemic of both here. Are you happy with the results? Are you cool with how, how it's going down in America right now? Are you one of these people profiting from slavery? Then turn off the turn, turn off the radio. Don't listen to this. If it upsets you, then turn away from it because evidently you're profiting from it and you feel like we're not going to win this fight. You feel like we're not going to win. We're not going to be able to defeat you is what you think because you keep going and getting those checks and getting those benefits from the modern day slavery situation. But what I can promise you this, we're going to win. We're going to free the enslaved. We're going to abolish slavery. 
I believe is going to happen in my lifetime. We're going to take a break. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elijah. We'll be right back. This is Brother Elliot. First of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Peace, and we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia here on this Black Talk Radio Network. Let me give you the number uh, in case you have questions or concerns, support or debate, love or slander, attacks, or you want to let me know you got my back, I just come on in here and talk to us about it. 712-775-7035 is the number. The access code is 367526-POUND. You hit star six and then one to comment on the air. And we've yet to really break into the news, so I will stop my my uh, diatribes here. I've been ranting for some time just about justice overall. And I think maybe it's Monday, um, even though these podcasts will be, you know, in perpetuity available. You can just click on whatever and listen to it in any order. But, I mean, it is Monday, literally today, as this is being recorded, um, seen as somewhat the first of the week. Uh, Sunday's the first day of the week, but we, we get back to it, you know, to the grind on Monday. So, um, after a weekend of, of studying and, uh, some quiet contemplative time, a uh, family was, was out of town at a funeral. Um, so I had quite a few, you know, I had two days basically to myself and a lot of meditation and reading and this type of thing. And I mean, this is what comes back out of me. You know, my first opportunity to speak to you is to is to get on my stump and start, you know, really encouraging people to take this whole justice situation seriously. And yeah, I can read the news to you and read website, you know, links and pages and whatnot to you. And some of what I'm talking about comes from the things that I have read here, and I'm going to share them with you here in just a moment. But the point being that the people that are talking are pointing out the exact same things we're saying. So even as we see the movement grow and as we see new people come into it and new allies are made and this sort of thing, where there was not a voice before, and hopefully I could, I could make this a, a clear picture for you, in areas where there was not a voice, let's say, when a voice comes up, it's not that they've discussed it with us or even heard what we're saying, but when a voice comes up organically in and of itself, and it begins to say the exact same things that we've been saying. See, this is a naturally occurring alliance. This is a natural, this is showing that these, ev- these truths are made self-evident. Like the Constitution said, it should be self-evident that all men are created equal. But we see that it took legislation to make a distinction between men and show inequality would be carried out against individuals based on those differences that that the legislation pointed out, and that was successful for hundreds of years. Well, when justice comes to play, when it's time for justice to come, come out, 
when it's time for righteousness to speak up when the day comes for righteousness and liberty to return to the people then we see organically that people who were not formerly a part of anything we were saying or never even heard from us or, or heard our opinions say the exact same things we say that is an, or, an organically occurring situation that's not something that's, that someone has to go out and, and pay them to say to carry the message which is what we see politically occurring these people aren't showing up on Fox News and parroting the talk of other people on Fox News and Rush Limbaugh and whoever, even on the so-called liberal side. We're not seeing people show up and join forces with with these Democrats or whatever. Whoever you are, whatever parties you represent, we're not seeing people come out and discuss these things from a wholly organic standpoint. They didn't just learn of it one day and then they were somehow forced to go create a platform for themselves to begin to speak on this. We're seeing individuals handpicked who are willing to tote the party line. They get compensated for their efforts and then they show up on your TV or they show up on your radio or they show up with a, with a book. They show up in a movie and they spew all the same stuff, the same old talking heads were saying. What we're talking about is a message that was coming to you live and direct from slaves back in the day. Get with that. So you got Rush, I got Nat. You got Hannity, I got Frederick Douglass. Can you get with that? See, it should be obvious to you, I got the truth on my side. I got the real warriors whirling with me. You supporting George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, two of the biggest hypocrites, slave owners, slave rapists, slave killers terrorists in modern human history that you claim and you uphold it and you're really not even doing what they told you to do to be honest you're just propping them up as though you believe in them and stand with them I got John Brown he got down for it for real see that's who I got on my side and these are truths that I understood before I studied those people. The same truths that they believed and they took action in their time. So this abolitionist movement, this abolitionist message that you're hearing is sponsored by the blood of slaves. Can you get with that? You need to think about that. About what we're really talking about and about who we're really representing. And about what's really funding this message getting to you is the blood of your ancestors black man black woman and a lot of white folks too and Mexicans and American Indians cause see they won't tell you about it but people that believed in righteousness got down for it back in the day and died for the cause and what we're seeing now is a whole lot of people that they're not willing to shed no blood for it they're not willing to have their own blood shed for it so sometimes we got to rehash this about the abolitionist movement. Sometimes we got to bring this back out into discussion about the freedom movements. Just to remind you, just to let you know, not no scare tactics, not no terrorism, not no uh, threats or nothing to nobody. I'm just bringing it up because it has always been a part of the fight. So I would be remiss to leave this part out of the conversation because this has always been a part of the fight. You're not going to get no pass claiming that you for freedom today 
you're not willing to bust no heads or willing to get your head busted. And I imagine you have to be some kind of damn fool to just keep getting your head busted and don't strike back. So we see these babies getting taken every day. We see our old folks getting raided and kicked in and killed. We see an entire swath of our youth snatched away from us from 18 to 40. Prime procreating years, prime labor working years, prime inventing years, prime investing years. An effective genocide against us. Effective genocide carried out against us. So your head's already getting busted. Just because they made some weaves so you can cover the knots don't mean your head ain't got busted. Just because they are allowing you to go into alternative lifestyles and choose to effeminize yourself and prove that you're in no kind of way a threat because you can do the the stanky leg. I don't even know what the hell these fools are doing. If I see more videos of our young black men being courted into homosexuality and equating homosexuality with political ineffectiveness though unless you're fighting for homosexual rights so that's where I got a problem with it and that's what I'm seeing us courted into doing and we're going along with it we're confusing not offending people and not attacking people for their sexual beliefs we're confusing that with allowing them to choose to be politically ineffective politically impotent politically unconcerned unless it is directly attached to their concerns about we see black folks get on the front lines of fighting for rights of transsexuals in custody but not getting in line with the fight of abolitionism of modern day slavery period again lack of knowledge is causing our people to perish and again I didn't intend on getting on all these various soapbox and what's not you know the news is going to be the news the news is going to be there I mean that's why I created this program why uh, Scotty allowed me to bring this program to you through this network and and why he works with me every day why I speak with Max every day near, nearly and discuss you know the, the, the things we're going to talk about and just keep this all going this is why because we need to talk about it every day and the news is going to be the news and I'm, I'm still I mean we still got time I don't want to make it like I'm just not going to get to the but I really am feeling in my spirit that you need to hear this you need to understand that all of these splintered interests it's everything but looking at the real problem we're not going to get anywhere unless we decide that we're going to look at the real problem let me bring to you again what I've personally adopted is the abolitionist message and I, again I give credit where credit's due I haven't found a better writing or a better explanation that helped me and explain my feelings about the situation explain my position in, on, on this program and in the abolitionist movement overall I haven't found anything that's more concise and to the point and, and very descriptive of the problem than what my brother teacher, elder brother Robert Pree Robertson shared with me all of this stems from the 13th amendment and the exception clause found therein the police are the primary enforcers of this exception in the 13th Amendment. That is their primary job. The people that the 13th Amendment was intended for were African people in America. That is why it's called a reconstructive amendment to repair or reconstruct the lives damaged by the inhumanity of slavery. The exception was placed into the 13th Amendment for the intention to specifically re-enslave 
all those freed Africans. It was intended specifically for African people, and it has impacted mainly African people. Africans in America have been criminalized ever since their enslavement to justify the inhumanity of slavery. And they were criminalized after their emancipation to re-enslave them through black code legislation. Legislation is where our persecution is coming from in America. From the appropriate legislation of Section 2 of the 13th Amendment. It is from legislation that communities become ghettos. It's from legislation that every African community across America, every city in America that is represented by Africans, Atlanta and your teachers going to prison now, are being and have been slated for political deprivation. Atlanta, Detroit, Chicago, need I go on into the smaller cities? Are you listening? Are you understanding me? They are being and have been slated for political deprivation, economic disadvantage, social and national disparagement, and white supremacist institutional discrimination. Our solution for all of this is the same as it ever has been, abolition. So as I move towards the news, I really hope that we're back on if we were in any case or in any any situation, we were kind of like off wavelengths with one another. We're on the real channel. See, sometimes like in the old days, the CV radios, you'd be communicating through the radio and you pick a station, they'll pick me up on channel. See, before cable TV and internet-based and all this kind of communication, people used to pick up on frequencies, just like on the radio. If the station you're looking for is 103.3, and you on 103 or 102.9, you can kind of pick up some of what's being said, but you got to, you had, you used to have to turn that little knob. See, now you got digital, but you used to have to turn that knob back in the day to get right on the frequency. You might go under a bridge. You might be in a part of town where, you know, 103.1 was close and you could kind of hear it if it's a little static in and now you couldn't get the whole message. But when you got on that sweet spot, you got right on the dial. You could hear the message coming through clear and you could enjoy what you're listening to. Well, it's the same thing here. I just feel sometimes in the movement, I feel sometimes people that get a chance to hear what we're discussing, sometimes we're on a couple notches off. We're just, a, you know, a, a, a one degree on the dial away sometimes. There's a little static in there and people not quite catching the message. So hopefully you've heard over this last 45 minutes, an hour, whatever, I've been ranting on and on about this. Hopefully you can hear the message with clarity. Hopefully you understand again who we are aligned with, what we represent. This is not some popular, we try to be cool and we want to be the cool kids. And Yes, I am a Pan-Africanist. But I'm an abolitionist. Until abolition is achieved. I'm an abolitionist, Pan-Africanist. Yes, I'm a Hebrew Israelite believer. Yes, I'll say it clearly right here, right now. You, what do you think Yohanan Eliah means? That's where I stand in my faith. But guess what? I'm an abolitionist preacher. And if we turn this into a Bible study, I'm going to find more lines and more passages and more scriptures all throughout that book. Just speaking for people that needed liberation and who were told to take action for their liberation told to go out and smite the enemies and go to war and get your freedom 
See, that's that's what I studied. I'm a history buff. Guess who? I, what I study and what I read and what who I identify with. I'll give you one guess. Abolitionists. See, so we can go in all kind of different directions about this thing. Scientifically, numerically, mathematically, whatever you want to talk about. Philosophically, it doesn't matter to me. Abolitionism is the thing. Until you end state-sanctioned, institutionalized slavery, you ain't talking about a damn thing to me. Plain and simple. I really don't care what the playoffs is shaping up to be. Sorry. Not really, but I mean, if it hurts your feelings, too damn bad. I honestly could give a good you-know-what about how any of these TV shows play out the, the season ending cliffhanging I didn't see it sorry I really don't care who's sleeping with who who's gay in the rap industry I don't care about how much the new shoes cost or what the, I don't care about your reunion trip your homecoming what your frat your sorority what I did none of that means anything to me unless you come to the table talk about ending modern day slavery what the hell are you talking about These people are suffering and dying on your watch. And you posted 10 more selfies today. Good job out of you. People losing their jobs, losing their families. Do you realize the, the rates of suicide going on right now? Do you understand the people that are hurting and are being cut down by this thing? And it has a root in it. And that root is in slavery subjugation of under other individuals in systems that are in place to draw them in and to kidnap them and to catch them in nets and bring and provide a pipeline that is never ending and fully stuffed and stocked to the gills with new slaves every day those jobs that cut out those those uh, those companies that cut out those people's jobs they know where they're going to end up that's their obligation to pay to the system When they cut 5,000 jobs at that company, they know where a certain percentage of those people are going to end up in the prison system. Whether it be through a traffic ticket that they can't pay and it just continues to matriculate through the systems of policing for profit and probations for profit and they keep on and they put them in a debtor's prison situation like we discussed specifically in Alabama and in 15 other states around the country. These are real facts, people. When these things are put in place the way they are, they know folks are going to fall into certain holes. And they're counting on and they're entertaining you bread and circuses style with all kind of other stuff so you don't notice that you just lost another friend. And then it's people like me to get the inboxes. It's people like me to get the emails. It's people like me to catch folks in the street I ain't seen in however long and say, man, you know, that's what's happening. This is what's going on. Oh, man, it's been going bad. Lost my brother, man. My sister-in-law went away. Oh, I lost my... Talking about loss, talking about pain from all sorts of financial backgrounds. Middle class, educated folks coming, talking, man, you just don't even know, man. They cut those jobs out. And where do you think the jobs are going? They don't need to pay you for your degree to build bombs. I'm being very serious. The defense industry contracts through Unicor. 
one of the largest defense contracts in America is through the federal prison systems. Don't alarm you, though, does it? You got your degree and going with your job, so too bad for them. Three hundred million a year, four hundred million a year, a billion dollars a year. Oh, wait, ten billion dollars a year, a hundred billion dollars. Oh, three hundred billion dollars a year, six hundred billion dollars a year. Your defense budget. Billions and billions of that allocated directly to the federal prison system, so they will pay a dollar a day, twenty-five cents an hour, whatever crazy rates, to as many people as they can throw into the prison system to make one hundred percent of the, the dog tags, uh, bulletproof vests, armor for the vehicles, putting together circuit boards for put in, to put into guided missiles and ammunitions of all sorts. Funding the war effort with slave labor. We're not even going to talk about the people they dropping drone bombs on. We're not even going to talk about the millions of people killed in all these countries that we went and invaded and, and to liberate from dictatorships and godless leaders and tyrannies and all this other crap we've talked, these terror threats. That's a completely different conversation that for some of you may take a lifetime for you to be able to accept and understand that. We're talking about the slavery aspect, and there's no doubt about that. It's very direct and immediate for you to see the connection between people were in federal prisons working for Unicor and other associated defense contractor-related contracts for labor that are going on with the federal prisons alone. It's a very direct situation for you to be able to see $3.7 billion allocated from the 2015 federal budget 2014 federal budget right from Obama's hand right into the private prison company's hands we showed you in the transcripts we listened to the broadcast of the quarterly earnings calls with CCA and GEO group where they discussed very openly we're looking at acquiring several new federal contracts for immigrant detainees and then we saw the border crisis arise and then we saw 3.7 billion dollars taken out of the budget allocated directly to private prisons and when we saw the expansion of the private prison complex where they began to take in these 34,000 daily mandated detainees and then we start seeing the breakdowns in these private prisons where people are refusing to do slave labor and they call it riots and then they disperse them move them into other private prisons so these are all very direct connections and very direct obvious factual fact based personal testimony based contracts and paperwork in place so you can see for yourself based they're not just the rantings of me sitting up here just trying to swing you to believe what I say for what purpose what what point do I have in getting you to believe what I'm talking about if not abolition of slavery there's nothing there is no point to me being here other than to get you to believe in and look for for yourself in your own lifetime the end of the modern slave problem I really hope people can get that I, I just I really do hope you can understand it's not about me it's it's not about you know Max and Scotty and the, it's not about these we, we're we're like an idol worshiping community we're we want to prop up heroes and idols and make people into something that fits what we want but I'm not going to be what you want unless you want to end the slavery and even then it's not me it's you 
It's you and me working together and still getting more people. It's not going to be any one person. It's not going to be a Messiah raise up and wave a magic wand and then all the people come running out. So, so just forget it with making me to be somebody. I'm nobody. I'm just the guy that can tell you about it today. My prayer every day is somebody will come better than me and can, can get it across. I don't want this program to last more than a few weeks. I want the problem to get fixed that quick. If I'm here telling you about this five years from now, God forbid, I'll quit myself because I'm a damn failure and this is going nowhere. That's how serious the need is. It's like keeping a loved one on a resuscitator or something and they, you know their brain dead. Like, what would be the point? You're just serving yourself? You just want to see them laying there with tubes all in them and they ain't recognized you for the last two years? You just want to keep running up a bill just so you can go and comfort yourself that they're, well, they're still with us. No, they're not with you. It's the exact same thing for me. If I'm still doing this, if you're still hearing from the abolitionist movement and you ain't moved and we ain't changed nothing in four or five years from now, it's just a life support of a brain dead thing. We've got to get serious people. We got to get active in this thing. Start up something where you live. If you're not a part of something, if you can't find nothing, it's the damn internet age. Take out that phone and Google the information. Find somebody local to you to join up with. And if it's just two of you, make it four. Make that your focus for today, for this week. We got to get four members, man, by next week. It can't just be me and you, man. When you get four, then shoot for ten. We got to get ten active, dedicated people that are willing to look at these laws, that are willing to attack these corporations, that are willing to impact impact these people through boycotting, that are willing to reach out to other organizations nationally, internationally, and get us on the scene too so we can all be a part of the coalition. We got to get into the schools, make sure the babies understand what they're up against. We got to impact these churches and hold these people accountable and force them to speak on these issues when you look in these pews and you see all these black families and you know good and damn well all these people is affected by modern day slavery and then by next month make it be a hundred we had a commitment and moved to abolish 21st century slavery last year to end the year with at least 1,000 active members in that group we're in April now and the, and the group is around 1,500 people if I'm not mistaken and it's very action-oriented. We just had a call for action here recently with the Mumia situation. Now, I don't know how it's going to end, and we're still following and trying to keep as close a watch on it as we can. But we've had at least four or five that I can think of calls to action for local prison situations and people being abused and thrown in solitary and treated like human trash, as well as health concerns that people weren't having addressed. And call to action comes out and we have a group in place that we can put that in there and people will call, will email, will show up at prisons, will start to affect these, these administrators and these people's lives so they know, look, somebody's watching, we gotta do something. It starts as simple as that. And it keeps on building up to where you make associations with attorneys, legislators, political individuals, start, start creating your own political candidates that will run on your platform. People, it's not going to come through the TV remote. Sorry to tell you, 
It's not going to come through the TV remote. It's not going to be on a on a, a playlist on your MP3 where you jam into the new Drake or whatever, whatever the hell. It's not going to come through these rappers. It's not going to come through porn stars. It's not going to come through some deal at Walmart. It's not going to come through you getting a second or third or fourth job. It's not going to happen through you getting two, three, four more degrees. It's not going to happen on a cruise. It's not going to happen on great travel websites where you can get great airfare and spend two weeks with other upwardly mobile black folks that just want to travel and enjoy their life. It's not going to come through none of that bull. You're going to take your black ass to Thailand and go see the sights and go, I've lived and traveled, and you're going to come right back to America and be a part of this damn domestic colony again and be slated for potential slavery just like you were before you left. Wake the hell up, man. Everybody want to put a Marcus uh, Garvey picture up as their profile pic. Everybody want to put up a Black Lives Matter. Everybody want to watch Amos Wilson uh, videos on YouTube and claim they, they read his books and ain't read nothing. Everybody wants to be a Pan-Africanist. Everybody wants to come out like they know commit knowledge and, and the study in my eye and the, the righteousness and the, the lightness of a feather of my heart and I practice and you'd sit up here practicing hypocrisy and damn foolery is what you're doing. Slavery is going down on your watch, unimpeded, while you travel the world. And all the atrocities of the slave plantation. See, it's not just people getting incarcerated and going in there and then forced to work for a dollar a day or whatever in jobs that you should have for 15, 16, 18, 20 dollars an hour. It's not just that. It's the health care. It's the rape. It's the beatings. It's the no criminality being prosecuted of any of the people that had facilitated any of this. It's the plantation of modern day America and it's happening on all of our watch. I think you know which side I'm of the fight I'm on. We'll be right back. We gotta take another break. This is the abolitionist daily. tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com and we are back this is the Abolitionist Daily this is Johan and Elia here on the Black Talk Radio Network um, let me open up the phone lines again and then we actually do have a call in queue so that's great the number is 712 712- Seven seven five seven zero three five. The access code is three six seven five two six pound. You hit star six and one, and you are welcome to come on the air. And speaking of coming on the air, we do have a call in the queue. Uh, welcome to the Abolitionist Daily. Who are we speaking with? Peace, brother Johanna. This is Max Parthas. Peace, Max Parthas. Sitting here listening to you, brother, and uh, you always inspire me, and I'm sure that the other people understand where you're coming from, the se- severity of what we're dealing with. I'm very upset myself today just on the two news stories that I've been sharing, the mm-hmm. Atlanta story with the teachers, of course, and uh, the other story with uh, Brother White out, uh, who was just mauled to death by a police dog. 
like yeah. literally on video. Um, it's just yeah, I'm about to take some alone me time today because Monday is terrible. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Max, wow. speak up a little bit. You're a little bit low. I'm sorry about that, bro. Yeah. Well, no, no. Um, do I need to repeat anything? We're good. No, I mean you, you you're good from here. Just you know, make sure we we can hear you. But yeah, yeah definitely. Man. Those are two stories. I mean, that's probably why I'm on here going off the way I am. It's from those same stories and from others. I mean, we keep seeing our young men shot in the back, unarmed, killed, dead. We see it, like you said, that, that that damn story with the dogs attacked that brother, killed him. I mean, we're looking at at the black teachers. I mean, you can't. These things are so obvious. So yeah, I'm going off today. I'm I'm glad you called because man, I mean, I I don't somebody else's voice. Get go ahead. <laughs> yeah, the, the, well, the, the one with the, the brother that was mauled to death, that's done right there on the street in daylight with the community able to see it. Now the world able to see it. And psychologically, mm-hmm. this is extremely damaging. I mean, you know, because we're not going to do anything about it. That's really the bottom line that we already know. It's right. going to be cops got off or uh, they're not indicted. That's how it usually concludes. Or somehow they blame this brother for having parking violations, which led to his death. Um, right. So, <clears throat> I my suggestion is, and I'm saying this on air, get everybody you can in Atlanta and go down to the J. Well, well, not for the Atlanta story to get everybody you can in Atlanta to go down to jail and take them teachers out. For the people that uh, <clears throat> have been seeing this video, if you're in that area where the brother was mauled to death, go down to the police station and raise hell in the police station. And I'm not telling you to do something I haven't done myself. Hmm. I'm just What's saying, come man, down to, man. stories that you can act on. I mean, you as a single individual person can walk up to a jail and raise hell. They might send you to jail, but if a million of us did that, they're going to run out of cells eventually. Yeah. You know, we, we need That's help, just, bro. We need help yeah. from the outside because we ain't doing enough for us on the inside. We need some other countries, to, to, you know, to point some guns over here and say, yo, <laughs> stop right now. <laughs> Or else, because we yeah. ain't got no or else. Where's our or else? Right, right. That's why I stumped so hard for the Black Talk Radio Network fundraiser. I mean, at least it's some type of an or else. Get your voice out there. If we connect and link city to city, like you talking about this brother in Vineland, New Jersey, you're talking about people in Atlanta, we talking about uh, the uh, unexplainable black death profile today is from. Uh, uh, I believe Wisconsin. Uh, so, I mean, we talk about the city to city, state to state around the country. Every day we see that we are all connected in this same suffering. These things are no different from state to state. We're all facing the same situation. Why would we not connect? In Atlanta, uh, Christopher Irving's uh, explanation of collateral consequences is already happening. Because these mm-hmm. were the breadwinners in the families. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? So those yeah. families just got destroyed. And yeah. uh, they're going to continue generations on suffering because of what happens here. There's so many more things we could have done with these uh, educators. You know, with all the hypocrisy going on, the bankers not going to jail, the police right. not going to jail, you're going to use the RICO Act on teachers right. and then se- sentence them for like 20 years, and then the judge is going to say you need to stay in jail, you can't even have bail. I yeah. say, first off, check the judge, because he's probably getting paid by the prisons to keep them in there, because that's money in their pockets for every day that those people are in there. And yes, they do get that petty. So I would say, check them. And if you don't think it's possible, check kids for cash. That'll tell you how that works. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like we were, we've been, we've been calling for, for 
the after the G- DOJ report, we've come together unified for the most part uh, in all of these different groups that we work with and definitely in the new abolitionist movement to call for this RICO aspect to be brought out. And that's the whole point behind Ferguson America right. and this new segment on new abolitions. I mean, we've been pushing this and explaining this and bringing this out, reaching out to attorneys and explaining it. Nobody's coming back saying we off course in the, in the least bit. We even had, uh, Scotty had Glenn, uh, 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 what's his name? Glenn Ford. Uh, yes, Glenn Ford. uh, yeah, from, uh, he said it even on, on the Black Talk Radio Network news. He's, report. yeah. He's, he admit, he admitted it. You're all right. That is what should happen. We should be able to do that. And what we see is the first response, man. They let you know by what they bring back to you. The first response we got on anything Rico was to draw up a, draw the law out for 25 Negroes with professional degrees and in the position of teachers. The only one of the only positions that black folks are allowed to facilitate for their own people in all of professional trades in America. You don't see hospitals populated with all black doctors. You don't see engineering firms of all black, you don't see all black attorney firms. You see a bunch of schools with a lot of black folks that's allowed to be teachers and come together and, and have an influence on the community like that. But what other professions do you really see black folks able to go out and just have a whole institution that basically they represent what's going on there? You know, and they took that and put that on Front Street. Rico. There's nothing I could think of that a teacher could do uh, under her contract even if she breaks it and does something like this, cheating him or her does, that would suffice in them getting 20 years in prison. I just, no. th- there is nothing. What could they no. possibly do? No. If you want to charge somebody, charge them for teaching them the wrong things, like that slavery ended in 1865. Right. You know? But nonetheless, how can you even possibly consider this? This is outrageous. It's almost yes. like, it's a lynching, if you ask me. And yes. all of black America is watching this lynching, and we're being cowed. Yep, most of them are going along with it. Is what's also got me pumped up. Is I just like the other stories that we report on. When it comes down that the black person is catching the short end of the stick, the black folks are being disciplined, the hyper criminalized, hyper policed, the publicly lynched, whatever. The new trend is to see all these Negroes come out and say how they deserved it. Yeah, I got people saying that on my timeline right now on Facebook, talking about how theft. Is uh, cheating is theft and that's fraud and they deserve to go to prison for that and see you know it's so easy to say that when it's all black faces ain't it but when you yeah. see Enron's people out there it's like no right. let's not do that right. with them or, or it, it, even if it's Cheney and Bush who are wanted criminals across red parts of the world you can't say that to them can you but for nope. those black faces let them go to prison yeah man sad yeah, state of affairs brother I, I would keep reminding people that abolition abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know peace because we don't do this because we want war we want peace we're already in war only one side is fighting and only one side is providing all the victims see we're already in a war have been for a long time we want peace we want to be able to enjoy our families and our lives and be able to uh, invest in our arts and our talents and our skills without somebody trying to destroy us completely and utterly well you speak the truth sir i I definitely appreciate you giving me a a, you know opportunity to to breathe for one and and to hear what i'm saying you know backed up uh, by by definitely by a comrade that i respect uh your opinion so i know i'm not too far off um but i just came in today just like 
once again, I be damned. I just can't believe what I'm seeing. With these cops just standing around, yes. manhandling his body like it's those it shows you that they have no concern for life at all. And if our police have no concern for life, then we've got a serious problem here in America. And we already knew that, but maybe you didn't know it. The listener today, that first time tuner in, who's going, what? <laughs> where, where have these guys been? We've been around. The abolitionist movement has always been going on. It didn't fool us all. Some of us kept going. And today, it's at a peak again. And today, we can make a change just by you changing your mind and then going right. and telling somebody else so they can change their mind. Indeed. Indeed. All right, brother. I'm going to keep tuning in, man. Uh, give them hell and keep <laughs> ministry going. God put you on this path, and I'm uh, enjoying watching every moment of it. Peace. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Till we talk later on, bro. Peace. So there you have it, uh, Brother Max Parthas. Uh, you know, comrade in the struggle, co-host. We discuss these matters pretty much day in, day out. And uh, I didn't talking about it, and he knew what same thing I've been saying is what he's been thinking about all weekend too. I'm sure. You know, like you said, when you can see graphic video, you know, I mean, for all these people that on this kick about what all what we overcame, it was some mess on. Oh, I really wanted to not be this way today, but okay. So last night the BET deal comes on. And, uh, they showed it, make a big deal and making sure you see, oh, uh, Mrs. Obama, first lady there at the, at the ceremonies or whatever. And then they had this lifetime achievement they gave to Cicely Tyson. And, um, I, I don't get, I don't know what's going on with our people. You know, the same rhetoric to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And if you just try and you need to respect yourself and we need to work harder and, and we need to make sure that you can't say anybody else is keeping you from getting into just on and on and on with the same worthless rhetoric. And the thing is, she's in the, she's boxed in between with this five minutes of, of, uh, you know, her, whatever you want to call it, Negro spiritual. We, we can overcome if we just outwork them rhetoric she's spitting she's boxed in between an hour to begin the program of booty shorts and and hot pants and drop it like it's hot and twerking and let me sex you down or whatever and then after they get done with her they go right back to the booty shorts and the thongs and the drop it like it's hot and the twerking and the let me sex you down to finish the show and the whole thing is black girls rock and that's what we bring to the table about what black girls is about I didn't hear anything about slavery. Did black girls rock in prison too? Because the black woman is something like 800% increase leading all people on the planet earth right now in being newly incarcerated and over incarcerated and hyper policed and criminalized. The black woman, yeah, the black girls rock and they, and they, the main ones going to prison. I don't see anybody talking about that on your multi-million dollar production shown through the black entertainment television work that all black people know is not owned by black folks and does not serve any interest of black people why do we keep on being damn fools is what I can't understand that's not new news people have been knowing that for some years and you're seeing programming that is I mean this is the whole the Byron Allen lawsuit he's saying look man we don't have access to these channels and these programs and they're getting programming out that serves our interest. Every ch single channel, this fire, Magic Johnson, the, 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 uh, uns uh, not unsung, TV one and the BETs and the, yeah, you got a small black minority, a couple of owners or people that's in it in some kind of way got affronted by 
white supremacy, but the, the agenda is still the same. And the programming reflects that. And the money, where the money's going, it reflects that too. And we're cut out of that. And so we have our award ceremony, and we have our supposed to be black girls rock and bring the president's well, wife out, and we're going to really put on this show to show you, but you're not talking about what's affecting black women. Yeah, I'm happy for the professional sisters that get to come out and tell you about how great they are and what works they do. I'm happy for the black singers that can come out and show you how sexy they are and the old black singers that come out and show you they still got it. I'm happy we can celebrate. We can be happy. I mean, that, I'm not some mad, angry, Grinch person that just, you know, the hell with life. I'm happy about all that. But if we're going to be responsible, we need to be speaking to the real problems. So the people, when you got their attention focused, Show them what's really going on. That doesn't mean we can't dance. See, if the people are honest with themselves, nobody that came to Rose Rock to sit and see Michelle Obama there is going to turn away from that spectacle. If you take 30 seconds to name off some statistics and some and some uh, talking points about the mass incarceration, modern-day slavery problem, as it applies to those black women, nobody's going to change the channel for a 30-second, one-minute little sound bite that you put that information out there to help empower the people so they'll know to protect themselves get some people interested if you got 40 million people that have watched that whether live or in the in the perpetual uh re repeats on bet whoever recorded it put it on on uh youtube and put it on various sites or whatever where people will be accessing it from their phone and watching clips and all the memes that'll come out of it and all the, the way that it'll permeate through social media over the next months until the next big award show comes or the next big ceremony comes or whatever all this time you could be building up a movement of abolition of the problems that are plaguing us but when you don't talk about these things when you act like this is not on the table when we turn from it and we look at who's wearing whose fashion designs and negroes imagine themselves to be quite aristocratic don't they oh look at us how we can show up and come on the red carpet and we're important and celebrate us no, I'm not going to celebrate you. I'm not sorry about that either. I'm not going to celebrate you. I can't get down with your, with your party. Because the black girls rock that I know, the black girls I know that rock, is the ones that you don't have no interest in giving a voice to. Being raped in Tutwiler prison to just to get tampons and, and toothbrushes. Let me read this opinion. This is out of DailyTarHill.com. Uh, says, uh, North Carolina should cease prisons labor exploitation. North Carolina's criminal justice system is guilty of robbing prisoners of their natural right to be compensated for their labor. Most prisoners in the state are paid only 40 cents, 70 cents, or $1 a day while being tasked with performing tasks that outside of prison would pay at least minimum wage. Furthermore, prisons are not allowed to consent or to consent to or reject the tasks assigned to them. Conviction of an offense should not be coupled with the deprivation of basic human rights, particularly because North Carolina and the rest of the United States are guilty in the last half century of creating a system of mass incarceration on an unprecedented scale. Many are imprisoned for offenses that should not result in incarceration in the first place. Others receive overly punitive sentences. The infrastructure is particularly offensive because it is racialized, continuing, continuing a long history of race-based labor for exploitation. In 2013, 55% of North Carolina's inmates were black. 
This echoes past systems of racialized labor exploitation, such as sharecropping and debt slavery. at least minimum wage for their work, robbing prisoners of the fruits of their labor creates cycles of poverty that perpetuate crime. A conviction for a crime does not strip a person of his or her humanity. Law should be changed to reflect this essential truth. Yes, 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 and yes to all these things that have been said here. Thank you for this opinion, sir or ma'am. It's getting out, people. The word is getting out. People are beginning to make the connections they understand. We are talking to you, the potentially unconvinced or potentially uninitiated, to bring this to you so you will have an opportunity to get on the right side of history before it's too late. That's the whole point of why we're doing this and why we're talking about this with you. So you can understand what you're facing, what's going on, and you can get in on this thing before it's too late. It's that simple. You see that it's coming across the country that people are understanding and picking up on this and speaking out on this state to state to state. This is not just some random ranting that goes on on this one radio program and then you just got to turn your head from it. People are picking up on this. So we bring it to you in the hope you will see a benefit in picking up on it for your own self. So you'll be on the right side of it. You got a few minutes, so let me try to rip through the, the couple of sites that I wanted to read here. Um, what I was going to talk about here with you was the time for criminal justice reform it says keep race out of it there's uh, no word in the english language that captures the quintessentially american practice of debating an issue without mentioning the one thing that everyone knows is central to the issue's resolution we have expressions for it like the elephant in the room but we really ought to have a word for it since the practice is so common and it's front and center when it comes to criminal justice reform they're talking about discussing the issue of race which is not done much of the talk about it changes uh, about changes in the criminal justice system nowadays refers to the work of uh, justice reinvestment in, in initiative which is a public private partnership between the department of justice the pew charitable trust and the council of state governments typically it works like this a bipartisan coalition at the state level say for instance the governor the attorney general the chief justice and the ranking democrat and republican in both chambers secures a grant from the doj to hire technical consultants from pew or the seat which is the council of state governments uh, who study the local landscape and recommend data-driven reforms that will improve performance and save money without sacrificing public safety. That's at least what the theory is. The JRI has plenty of critics. Many people claim, quite rightly, that the reforms do not go nearly far enough to reverse the wreckage caused by two generations of a rationally punitive criminal justice policy. Among those who follow this most closely, one often hears the expression of low-hanging fruit. The judicial process focuses exclusively on the back end of the criminal justice system, sentencing and corrections. And it ignores entirely the problems at the front end, policing, prosecution, and indigent defense. A disconnect that is particularly, that is a particular concern of this writers. Still, more than 30 states have followed the JRI path and implemented some type of legislative reform. And let there be no doubt these reforms have helped reduce prison populations in a number of states, sometimes significantly. But what is the JRI's goal? Take a look at his websites and you will learn that the justice reinvestment is a data-driven approach to improve public safety, examine corrections and related criminal justice spending, manage and allocate criminal justice populations in a more cost-effective manner, and reinvest crime and strengthen neighborhoods. But what about correcting racial disparity? What about the fact that people of color 
are over, overwhelmingly more likely to end up in jail or spend pris- or time in prison than whites. That perhaps as many men will spend time behind bars, or that one in eleven are currently under some form of correctional supervision. What about the evidence of implicit and sometimes explicit bias that operates throughout the criminal justice system? Doesn't JRI have anything to say about that? Nope. In fact, across the entire JRI site, including sections of the goals and outcomes of justice reinvestment, the justice reinvestment process, key requirements of all jurisdictions interested in participating in JRI, the words are race. The words of race or racial, as in racial disparity, nowhere appear. Even if you click on a link to the JRI site assessment report, a comprehensive study of JRI reforms released by the Urban Institute in January 2014, all reference to race is conspicuously absent. The focus instead is on data-driven, cost-effective strategies to reduce spending on corrections and increase public safety, with only occasional exceptions. And this is the same thing that we see with the Pew organization as well as the CSG. This is clearly no accident. Right on Crime, for instance, is a coalition of prominent conservatives who have joined to support criminal justice reform. Its statement of principles makes no mention of race or racial disparities in in offending, sentencing, or prison populations. Instead, it advocates the application of conservative principles to achieve a cost-effective system that protects citizens, restores victims, and reforms wrongdoers. Indeed, in the rare instance when race has been mentioned at all, It has been purposely described as irrelevant to the reforms. Recently, for instance, the CSG published a report on the changing racial composition of the prison populations in Georgia, North Carolina, and Connecticut in the wake of JRI reforms. In each state, the extent of racial disparity in the prison population has declined. And in the latter two states, the improvement has been fairly dramatic. Admissions to prisons in North Carolina among blacks and Latinos fell 26% and 37% respectively between 2011 and 2014. In Connecticut, the total number of people in prison fell by nearly 17% between 2008 and 2015, but the drop in the number of black and Latino prisoners was three times as steep as the decline in the number of white prisoners. You'd think the CSG would shout these numbers from the rooftop, yet the authors of the study were quick to note that addressing racial disparity was not the objective of the JRI reforms. State policymakers designed their respective reforms in these three states to increase public safety and to reduce spending on corrections. And they carefully note that any finding of a casual relationship between reforms and the changes in the state's prison populations is premature. In short, whatever improvements one may observe in racially disparate outcomes is treated as icing on a cake that was baked for an entirely different purpose. Other examples could be added, but you get the idea. And in case there were any doubt that in this deliberate strategy, contrast this report with another report written by CSG just a few months ago on racial disparities in school discipline. It's entitled, You Can't Fix What You Don't Look At. Acknowledging race and addressing racial disparity, discipline disparities. The entire report is dedicated to developing strategies for a race conscious approach to intervention as a way of beginning to frankly discuss and directly address racial disparities. But prominent criminal justice reformers don't want a race-conscious approach and have no desire for a discussion, frank or otherwise, on racial disparities. The narrative that has taken shape among the most prominent institutional actors deliberately makes no mention of race, despite the fact that everyone recognizes the racially disparate impact of the American criminal justice system. And here's the thing. This might be precisely why it's working. 
I was recently in Alabama, says the writer, having a lunch with Republican State Senator Cam Ward, who is a leader in the JRI legislative reforms that are underway in his state. I asked him why reformers in Alabama weren't talking about race. He dropped his voice, glanced quickly around, quickly around the restaurant and said, if we make this about race, we'll just lose that narrative. He's absolutely right. The sad fact is that for most whites, evidence that blacks are overrepresented in the prison system makes them more fearful of crime and less likely to favor any reforms of the policies that produce this result. For most whites, in other words, making a case for criminal justice reform based in the fact in the first instance of evidence on racial disparity is exactly what not to do. This helps explain why the JRI, the Pew, and CSG are and so many other key actors in the reform movement assiduously avoid all mention of race as they have come to believe is counterproductive. Instead, they have developed a bureaucratic narrative to which they scrupulously adhere of cost-effective, data-driven, strategic reform that increases public safety even as it holds offenders accountable. accountable. These are all their talking points. A number of people are deeply disappointed by this whitewashed narrative. They consider it appalling that reform is couched in an old, cold language of actuarial efficiency and that the moral bankruptcy of mass incarceration, what Michelle Alexander calls the new Jim Crow, what the new abolitionist movement calls modern-day slavery, cannot be denounced for, by what, for what it is. By contrast, when a mosque is defaced, no one thinks the proper response is to fret about the effect on property values. Critics point out with considerable justification that the current narrative relieves white America of the obligation to confront its responsibility for the programs and policies. Like the war on drugs and disparate sentencing for crack and powder cocaine that contributed so much to create these disparities in the first place. Likewise, they note again with great force that an obsessive focus on data-driven, cost-effective reform makes it too easy to ignore the morally urgent obligation to repair the socially, culturally, and economically devastated environments where crime is so rampant. I could keep reading this because it's a pretty good article. It goes on for a while. This is by Joseph Margulies visiting professor of law and government at Cornell University. I'll post a link to it, but you see what he's saying, and you know it's the truth. Uh, I think Scotty Reed, our producer here, wanted to make a comment about this story. Scotty, you with us? Uh, yeah, Johanna. Uh, thanks for allowing me to speak on this. Um, I've actually debated that question within my own mind. You know, you, you've ever heard of the term racial showcase, and it's a term I heard Neely Fuller Jr. use and, and say how they used uh, racial showcasing to showcase non-white people to make it look like you know all you need to do is work hard and pull yourself up by your bootstrap and you too right. could be the next Oprah Winfrey or the next Barack Obama or whoever they're showcasing well I started thinking about well what about reverse showcasing okay it, uh, yeah reverse racial showcasing is what I was calling it and that is where where you would instead of always just focusing on the black uh, death by cops you know being killed by police that you racially showcase white people who are being gunned you know like the little 17 year old white girl who was gunned down and you know the white grandfather who was gunned down and and because these cases do happen and so mm -hmm. it seems like the uh whoever it was was making an argument of why they do not bring up race is because they're acting in what i would call a codified manner 
They know what the reaction is going to be. They know the people that they have to convince to push through, quote unquote, reforms uh, are white people. They are the ones running everything. So they know that, well, if we talk about, well, you need to stop doing this because it's impacting too many black people, putting too many black men in prison. Well, that person in their mind would say, damn, that's good then. You know, right. that's good. So they don't even bring up the race and they point to other factors like the cost, how much is costing us, which we heard the Supreme Court justices. I think it was Stephen Breyer talking about. Is that what y'all going for is is total incarceration? Because if you're going for total incarceration, you know, you better be prepared to spend. I'm paraphrasing what he said, mm-hmm. but you better be prepared to fund it. You know, and saying it's getting out of hand, this mass incarceration. Yeah, he said total mass incarceration. Is that your policy? And so uh, 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 I think that uh, whoever is taking a position to not bring up race because they know it's a lightning rod and, and likely not to gather any support for their reforms, I think they're acting in a codified, well-thought-out manner, and I have no criticism for them. Even though we all know, we as black people know, you know, and on this network, we talk about it because we feel like, you know, it's not enough black people woken up to the fact um, you know, that all of this murder and mayhem is being committed against us and all of this enslavement. And so, you know, we trying to get them to, to mobilize. But again, since we live in a country that is predominantly white, then you're going to have to start coming up with war strategies to get what you want. Um, in, in a way as such, they don't oppose it from the get go. It just makes sense to me. I, I don't know. That's all I wanted to share. Your thoughts. I mean, I completely agree with you. That's that's exactly what has to happen is we cannot, as a domestic colony, and, that, and again, Max speaks about this, and it's so true to any aspect of, of trying to make change, is you have to first realize that you need to make a change. So it, it requires people to, to change their minds. Like, you've got to realize the illusion is that you are have inclusion. You are not included. You are excluded. You are picked out. The systems that have been put in place to include you still, majority of the time, represent somebody that is not you. Affirmative action helps white women something like three to one over how many black folks it helps. Myself, and when I worked in contracting sales, I've got white friends that are contractors, come from fathers that had contracting companies and handed it down, started their own, whatever, steady building. Steady building homes and steady building uh, commercial buildings or whatever. And when a couple of these guys found out what I was doing, selling contracting for people, found out what I was doing and had knowledge of the industry, and found out that I was on the list of uh, J.E. Dunn's minority contractors list where I could get some so-called preferential treatment to where I, my bids will be considered and all this type of stuff, these guys contacted me and said, can you show me how to set it up? where you could be the front man or you could help me get my wife on as the front person, whatever, so I can get some of this stuff too. So people know that there is no system in place that's genuinely and exclusively helping people of color. People know that. That's not some mystery in America. People know damn well that it ain't nothing in place to help black folks. The only people that don't know that is Negroes. The only ones that don't believe that. And when you said like using systems that will actually work, Divestment is a huge in, uh, something that will work. Like uh, Free Alabama, Free Mississippi right now, going with the boycott McDonald's. Try to pick out one place that you know will be hurt if we stop supporting it. 
And we're still struggling right now. We came back with the after Eric Garner and after Tamir Rice and John Crawford and uh, 500 others last year. And said, okay, we'll boycott Black Friday and boycott the Christmas season and shut them down and make them feel it, make them feel it, make them feel it. And then they might make them feel nothing. They all still stayed in the green, made all the money they needed to make. Nobody was affected by the boycotts. So that was something that I wanted to talk about, but we are, uh, you know, long on time, so I won't go into that. Maybe I'll present that tomorrow as far as the, the things that can be done. Uh, we'll talk about, uh, the corporations that are deliberately, uh, benefiting and profiting from the slaveries. So we'll talk about that. I'll bring that up for tomorrow's program. I want to uh, leave today with the unexplainable black death profile because again, like as Max called in and he talked about with, uh, the cases that have gone down, uh, we talked about the brother out of, uh, New Jersey, out of Vineland, New Jersey that had his face ripped off by the K9 unit. And, uh, we've talked about these other people. Um, I believe Black Talk Radio News is going to have, uh, Marlon Brown's, uh, wife on to speak about his case being run over by the police and the damn medical examiner saying that the brother suffocated. No, this the man didn't get run over. You didn't just see on a dash cam he got flattened by a police car. That's a whole nother, I'm not going to go into that rant. Maybe I'll present, present uh, a little bit more from the Black Talk Radio News interview on that tomorrow. But um, our unexplainable black death profile today is Justice Howell, 17 years old, shot down by Zion, Illinois police. Um, here very recently, it says, uh, this is from the Chicago Sun-Times, um, from uh, yesterday, April 5th. Relatives of a 17-year-old boy fatally shot by a Zion police officer called for justice for Justice Howell on Sunday. Family members said he was shot twice in the back, which authorities have confirmed. Dozens of family and friends gathered Sunday at the scene of Saturday's shooting to remember Justice, who they say was an aspiring rapper. His mother, LaToya Howell, said Justice wanted to go on to medical school and become a surgeon. Justice was a young man murdered by Zion police, she said. As, as he was fleeing from the police, they killed my son. He couldn't have been a threat if he was running away. According to a statement from Zion police, someone called police about 1.55 p.m., Saturday, reporting an argument or a fight in the 2300 block of Gilead Avenue. The caller also reported hearing a gunshot. When officers arrived at the scene, a male ran and the officers chased him. Police, This is what police said. A Zion police officer shot the boy near 24th and Galilee, police said. Family members identified the boy as Justice Howell of Waukegan. After officers administrated medical aid at the scene, Howell was taken to a hospital where he was pronounced dead. The officer was not injured, but was taken to the hospital as a precautionary measure. Mm -hmm. A handgun was recovered at the scene, police said. The Lake City Major Crime Task Force and the Lake County, or excuse me, the Lake County Major T Crime Task Force and the Lake County State's Attorney Office are investigating. Two witnesses said Howell was not armed at the time of the shooting. Michael Dizzoni and his wife live in a home directly across the street from where Howell was shot. Dizzoni said his wife was looking out of her bedroom window when she saw and heard the officer shoot Howell twice. She saw him fall to the ground, Dizzoni said. He said his wife told police that what she saw and that she did not see a gun on or around Howell. She's really upset, he says. Bobby Vaughn, who lives nearby, said she heard two shots and began running toward the scene following a police officer. When she arrived, she said she saw Howell on the ground. I heard the police officer, I heard a police officer tell another officer, yeah, I shot him. They were shaking him, but he didn't move. He was on his stomach, so they turned him over, and the police officer I was with gave him CPR. Vaughn said that she remained on the scene for quite some time and did not see police uncover a weapon. I didn't see a gun or a knife or nothing, she said. Latonya, Latoya Howell, 
said her son would have celebrated his golden golden birthday on June 18th when they had a family had a big plans for a big party. The party's uh, guests were planning on wearing white and gold. He was on the path to becoming a man, she said. He loved rap and he went by the name Little Michi. Howell's great aunt Ladonia Gilmore of North Chicago says she believed that an evil act was committed. Justice was just a baby in the eyes of many. There are more babies dying today than seniors. They don't even have a chance to carry out their lives or their careers. We want to make a statement that police brutality must decrease. Tyrese Branch, Tyrese Branch, 17, whose father is engaged to Hal's mother, ran to the scene Saturday as soon as he heard that Justice was the one who was shot. I got a call that Michi was on the floor and I was like, it can't be him. I got real emotional and real angry, he says. Because he's been in my life since I was five years old and we're very close. The vigil was peaceful and participants chanted justice for justice. Many sported t-shirts with Hal's picture and the same sentiment. Others just hugged and cried. While most of the group was made up of family members and friends, some came just because they were angry about what happened to yet another member of their community. You can't keep killing our black children and at least not tell us why, said Vanessa Gibbs of Zion. When is this going to stop? I've heard too many of these stories and I'm just tired. Well, folks, I'm tired of it, too. And that's why I say peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressors. I'm out. They started the slave ships. Slave ships. There are more records of slave ships than one would dream. It seems inconceivable. Until you reflected for 200 years, ships sailed carrying cargo from slaves. Man, 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 violence. In the face of the violence that we've been uh, experiencing for the past 400 years, is actually doing our people a disservice. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. It is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.